for understanding. We thank you for divine promise. We thank you for divine impartation and divine counsel. We thank you for your word. We thank you for blessing us to know you and to know your word. So we honor you, Lord, and we love you, and we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. So yesterday we were talking about how God fights for you. Amen. He fights for us. And that's that's the great thing. Because we can step boldly. That I don't know about you, but it sure gives me confidence in just continuing to serve God. Knowing that even though the enemy may be playing with my mind and causing me to doubt and thinking me, thinking I can't do it because something bad is gonna happen. We know that serving God is no risk and low risk. Amen. So there's very little risk here when you serve the living God. And and that's a great thing to know because then God is able to bless us beyond measure. Amen. Beyond measure. And uh, it's, it's good to know that because when we come before the throne of God, uh, we know that we can boldly ask for things that may seem frightening to us to get involved in. That we can just... Uh, confidently say you know the Lord is my helper Uh, he's there to help us and he's there to guide us and he's there to keep us in a place where we can be always uh, uh, secure always looking forward to the next we can be excited about the next chapter in our lives because God is there with us and he is there to fight for us so if the enemy does rise up against us we can always count on him to be our strength and our stay so we talked about the six different um, levels of the fight Uh, first we talked about divine protection and we pretty much covered that and we had divine strategy how God will tell you exactly how he's going to do things if you get involved you got to have knowledge and understanding so it's not magic and it's not happenstance and it's not any of those things but it is definitely divine and so uh, um, and we he does things related to giving us intelligence about him uh, giving us uh, understanding that we can know certain things Uh, we can know God's ways and his patterns and things like that but we always want to have God with us in everything that we do. You want to just jump out there and start doing stuff and uh, not be sure where you're going. Uh, we talked about the... Uh, <clears throat> ways that we can assure ourselves uh, that that um, the angelic hosts uh, camp about us and, and what do we have to do to make sure we stay in God's plan and his power and just uh, believe and obey and, and don't abide in the flesh. You know, just stay over in the realm of the spirit and that's where God can let us know everything that's going on and uh, you won't be surprised and you won't be fooled by anything. So the next area we want to talk about is divine power. And there are times when God's power will come upon us to do things supernaturally. Uh, We can have the supernatural strength of God. 
abide in us to cover every area of need. And I think that's something sometimes we forget that God can can give us supernatural strength and supernatural power to do pretty much everything that's necessary to do. We'll do it with a greater uh, excellence, a greater zeal, uh, all of those things uh, because he uh, empowers us supernaturally. Now in this dispensation we talk about the anointing as being the supernatural power and it is limited to certain areas like uh, healing, preaching the gospel, deliverance, taking authority over all the works of the devil. We see the anointing in our words, our prayers, uh, our confession. We see the anointing uh, to eliminate disease and, and, and cause the blessings of the covenant to come upon people's lives. But we don't think about the grace of God uh, in doing things that will give us supernatural ability in other areas areas of our lives uh, and we see in the in the Bible that people had supernatural physical strength and I think that's something to look forward to especially uh, you know when you start getting stiff and sore from every time you get up you're stiff every time you sit down you're stiff <laughs> you know <laughs> things like that you can call on that supernatural power of God to be there the Bible says the Lord is my strength amen and so he he is our everything and he will undertake for us in these areas to keep us strong uh, in a supernatural way where people are falling apart because they live in the natural you can get that extra push because you live in the supernatural realm of God and so when we talk about divine power I thought I'd take you to a couple of examples of David's mighty men and these were uh, men who were um, helping him in the fight they were part of his army Uh, and the kind of strength that they got from God in um, 1 Chronicles 11 1 Chronicles chapter 11 Uh, in verse 10 these are the chief of the mighty men whom David had now these are just the leaders so you got to know that what strength God put on them he put on everybody else I think sometimes people don't value um, associations enough to know what's available to them uh, you know if you and, and what can be taken away from you by wrong associations when you think about how you associate with people in God's kingdom uh, there is no reason why everybody in this ministry shouldn't be praying for the sick because the anointing's here you're being taught how to do it uh, what's missing is you need to probably make yourself available to God get out of you and get more into him and he'll use you and so many times we're so uh, caught up in uh, when am I going to get a chance to see you're still in yourself you get out of yourself and you get to say God just use me use me and let the anointing and the unction of God flow through you more 
so that you're more familiar with how God moves on you and uh, you will be able to do those things that God wants you to do. See, many of the experiences I would have with, with praying for the sick and stuff like that just walking around happened while I was a believer. A believer and as a minister. You got me? So, And it is available to all believers. And so we, we really have to respect association to the degree that we understand when we are, are under the authority of people. We have a right to expect those same abilities, divine abilities according to the anointing of God to flow through us as flow through those individuals. So these are the chief of the mighty men whom David had who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. So you see they strengthened themselves, themselves with their leader. You can't do that if you're insubordinate if you're critical, if you're judgmental, you, you you cut off the strength that you would have if you just submit, keep your mouth shut, and start trying to learn something. I remember, um, I think Pastor Shirley said that many years ago. She said, I wasn't sure what you were doing when you first started. She said, but I asked God. And he said, just shut up and learn. <laughs> she said, that's what I did. You understand what I'm saying? And so these things are wise. They're wisdom. You know, people really you know if you you forsake your own mercy sometimes when you observe lies in your mind you know and people tell you things about whoever you're associated with your leader and that kind of stuff and you believe the negative instead of just being there to learn and understand things so kick that nonsense stuff out your brain and learn how to receive what God he's not wasting your time you're where you are you're here for a reason you're here to learn and you're here to get strengthened in yourself and so it says the men whom David had who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel and this is the number of mighty men whom David had Jeshobim and the Hakmonite the chief of the captains he lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time and after him was Eleazar the son of Dodo the the Aoite who was one of the three mighties he was with David at Tadadim and where the Philistines were gathered together to battle where was a parcel of ground full of barley and the people fled from before the Philistines and they set themselves in the midst of that parcel right in the middle of it and delivered it and slew the Philistines and the Lord saved them by great deliverance now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock to David to the cave Adullam and the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim and David was then in the hold and the Philistines garrison was then at Bethlehem and David longed and said oh that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate and the three of them broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David but David would not drink of it but poured it out to the Lord and he said God forbid me that I should do this thing and drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy for with the jeopardy of their lives they brought it therefore for he would not drink it. These things did the three mightiest of the mighty men.
Amen. And so he says, Abishai, the brother of Joab, when he was chief of the three, he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them all at one time. And so it's interesting how physical strength is also associated with God. We don't have to be weak and we don't have to be feeble. You can claim that. You can meditate on that. You can ask God to bring that into your life and be expecting to see it. Don't just put it out there as a dead prayer. Uh, Put some expectation behind it. Amen. In Judges chapter 16, no we'll go to 15, 15, 15, you'll see how the Spirit of God came upon Samson. And he was called as a warrior. He was called to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistine. And it says, uh, verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistine shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loose from off his bands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men with that. Amen. And so, it's... It's always physical strength that God will give us. You got me? It's always that. This wasn't just unique for Samson. Samson could have had wisdom as well, but he wasn't rolling like that. Amen. Uh, Judges chapter 16 and verse 3. And Samson lay until midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them bar and all. So if you could imagine a gate that closes a city. And that's a big gate, folks. It's not like a front door. But this is something that's probably wide enough to get, uh, I would say, um, uh, scores of people walking right in it at one time. And he took it off bars and all. The posts and everything that was holding it together just lifted it off and took it. They had closed the gate so he couldn't come in. So instead of just ripping the lock off and opening it, he chose to take it off, you know, lock, stock, and barrel as they say and so Samson was a man of might and we know him to be a man of might not real smart but a man of might he was he wisdom would come upon him at the same time his strength would he just didn't operate in it in everyday life you know you see how some people want God in some areas and want him out of their lives in certain other areas and that's that's how Samson operated and he did so to his own hurt you know he was able to kill some Philistines but could have done more think if he had been the leader of an army if he had had enough smarts to gather an army together of Israelites and lead them and teach them and impart that strength to them but he kept his gift as his little secret weapon instead of allowing it to minister out to the people the way God wanted it to and so uh, Samson there is one of the other examples of divine power now the other one is Jesus of course who went about doing good 
and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. So when God is with him, you are a person of power. Amen? And power has its good and its bad. You know, power will lose you more friends than it will gain you. So if you're looking for friends in this life, if you're looking to be somebody yourself instead of be a servant, you're going to be very disappointed because this ain't the kind of life where you win friends and influence people. A servant is not above his master. If they murder Jesus, they'll want to murder you. And it was all because of the power of God that resided on him. The prophets of old, people, they didn't have a lot of friends. They lived for God, and when they would get to a city, half the people would throw stones at them and run away from them, and the other half wouldn't speak to them for fear. You got me? And so when when they they took that as God is on the scene, and they didn't want God, and nobody was rushing to find out what God had to say to them, and so that the power of God. I'm just trying to get you to see the power of God will will lead you to kind of lead an isolated life. You'll kind of have to live a life cut off from certain influences. Because the power belongs to God, he has every right to pick your friends in order to preserve the power. Man, he wants the power in the earth to do good. And so when you think about Jesus, you understand um, nobody wants that life necessarily. You know, you want some of it, but you don't want all of it. You don't want the sacrificial part. You don't want the part where you're rejected and despised. You don't want the part where you can't uh, go into a room and know everybody likes you you know kind of thing and so we have to settle for for uh, you know life with God if that's settling I think it's a higher life if you really think about it but many times our hearts yearn for relationships with family members that don't serve God you know you wish they would and you could get along and all this kind of stuff but it is what it is and so so when you when you understand the power of God, you understand that God has to isolate you from influences that will diminish your your power in Him. Uh, he wants you first. He'll tell you what you, you you're here for. He'll help you. He'll strengthen you. He'll love you, console you. He'll encourage you. All of the above. But uh, it's not going to be a, a friend type thing. Um, many times, and, and I think this sometimes is why the power of God is so um, diminished in the church. And it's kind of rare, you know, where you see um, the power of God free to heal people and deliver them and all of that. Because people don't want to pay that price uh, for the power to remain in an organization. You know, there's many opportunities to compromise and just drag people in so you can fill up seats, all that kind of stuff. But if you're expecting God to do it, you're praying for God to, to fill the empty seats and allow people to get in uh, then it's up to God and the Bible says that the church uh, in the book of Acts it says the Lord added to the church 
daily such as should be saved man didn't add that the Lord did it and so we have to depend on the Lord to do these things Uh, I remember when John Osteen had started his church they had moved from uh, I think it was used to be an old stable or something like that or horse barn is where they started Uh, he was an evangelist a traveling minister for many years and God called him off the field and told him to start a church for him and being an evangelist he'd see you know three and four hundred people come forward a night to be saved you know if the crowd was large enough so Osteen thought it would be a snap to get that the seats filled up when they moved to the new place and they, they, for years it was like the same several hundred maybe two or three hundred people and and he kept asking God you know and then he would have the best ministers come in to you know make the place more popular doing all the things men know to do to you know get your crowd in so to speak he would have uh, and I think Norval Hayes was sharing this testimony and Norval said you know it kind of got to be a joke with all the ministers Osteen wants us to come by again so he can you know and it never grew and nobody could understand why and so one day the Lord cornered John John was praying for people to keep coming and so forth and the Lord told him he said when are you going to stop doing this and let me do it and so John Osteen realized he was trying to run everything and not giving God a chance to uh, you know do and really to be honest with you John Osteen's preaching was such that if he drew a whole bunch of people at one time you might wonder if they were all saved you know what I'm saying um, and, and I'm not saying that that um, any, there's anything wrong with his preaching but many times you know people will just sit there and resist the gospel and not come forward and just you know be a part of the crowd and so you kind of you kind of want your people to really know the Lord. You don't want them to come in there not knowing God and so forth and so on. But God did increase that congregation, and He did allow John to preach the way He was uh, called to preach, and not having to water down the message so that people don't run out of there as fast as they came in. And so when you find that, you find that many times uh, God has something in mind when he starts to grow a congregation Uh, sometimes in large assemblies people are you know they're a number and they scatter very very quickly you know they just don't have anything grabbing them and holding them on uh, to to um, to the fellowship and there's some people who genuinely like people they want to know people uh, one-on-one they don't care about having a whole bunch of people around them they are used they are in, interested in you as an individual and so when people want that out of a Christian community um, they're not going to get that with well, you know two or three or ten thousand people sitting around them you can come there for years and never really get to know anybody and never know uh, you know if, if a person what they're about you know I, I was uh Uh, There was a woman that I met um, this past year, 2017, and I saw where she had passed away. You know, she's a person I knew on Facebook, and I think she'd come to the meetings a couple times. She'd come to Rejoice Detroit, 
and uh, she was she's a member of a very large church here and when she passed away nobody knew anything about her they didn't know family members I'm not even sure where they had her funeral at but she was kind of like a real quote unquote popular person but very much unknown nobody knew anything about her personally and um, I speaking to somebody that I knew her mutually and, and this woman told me she always called me mom and I said well, well how's her family doing she said I never met her family she said I never met she said in fact I don't even know where she lives she never told me where she lived or anything like that and so you can kind of go through life anonymously on purpose because you can avoid opportunities and, and really being a Christian you're part of a worldwide family you know there's no reason why you shouldn't know your brothers and sisters in you know uh, Canada or Asia or Bolivia or something or India or something like that where at least you they know who you are and know some details about your life but I mean it was just anonymous uh, and it was just really strange to me how a person and, and she had a ministry and people were always talking about what a great woman of God she was but nobody really knew anything about her and so that's the sad irony you know you can have a reputation but not really really personhood um, and God wants us to have that he wants us to have that intimate uh, realization of one another and we can only have it if we know salvation and we know each other as friends of God first and foremost and and then we can connect properly with one another and so God will add to your congregation your number what you're doing Uh, but sometimes there are some things he wants done first so that his kingdom can continue to increase you know I don't know anything I know we're supposed to pray consistently and as long as we're being successful getting our prayers done I'm pretty much satisfied you know I, I, I would love for us to be able to share more of God's word I love the word of God and I love sharing the word of God with more people but they gotta want it too and they gotta get in here in order to to get it so uh, we'll keep working on the things that we need to work on that let people know where we are and can draw people here you got me Uh, but quit no we don't and and discouraged no we're not Uh, we just look uh, look into the realm of the spirit and understand what we're being obedient to what God has called us to do you know it's it's a call it's not a club and it's not a group and it's not where you're trying to compete with anybody but you're called to fulfill a certain function in the earth and so that's that's what we do so praise God so the other area God will help us in is divine counsel C-O-U-N-S-E-L that is uh, that word means uh, to give understanding and to share knowledge and counsel it's a mental uh, faculty but it's also spiritual in 2nd Samuel chapter 7 I'll look at that God knows when to give us understanding he knows what we lack and he knows that it's necessary oftentimes to uh, uh, to get us to make the decision we need to um, uh, to make the Bible says by wise counsel you shall make war 
Amen. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Amen. And so what you, you want to do, you know, you don't need God to just give you your own little vision and your own little dream. Uh, you need to look for God to confirm that through more than one counselor. And so in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest round about from all of his enemies that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains. So David started to get um, uh, uh, guilty that he had a nice house wood, house made of wood and God was still dwelling in a tent so his heart was right but his counsel was a little off but he wants to build God a temple he knows it's coming you got me uh, because God has talked about a permanent dwelling place for his spirit now God really is talking about living in the hearts of men but David is not privy to that and so here he is feeling a little guilty uh, because God is is not got a, a permanent house to live in but he does and so he says and Nathan said to the king go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you so that's kind of a blanket thing and really that's how we live we can do everything that God puts in our heart to do because he's with us and it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying go tell my servant David thus saith the Lord shall you build me a house for me to dwell in whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt even to this day and have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel did I speak a word with any of the tribes who I commanded to feed my people saying why would you not build me a house of cedar now therefore so shall you say to my servant David thus saith the Lord of hosts I took you from the sheep coat from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel and I was with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies out of your sight and have made you a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth moreover I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time and as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies also the Lord tells you that you will uh, that he will make you a house and when the days be fulfilled and you shall sleep with your fathers I will set up your seed after you which shall proceed out of your bowels and I will establish this kingdom he shall build a house for my name so in other words David sees and this is real common with us we can see what God is speaking but we don't know the timing of it so David has an inkling that God is going to establish Israel in a permanent dwelling place which is Jerusalem 
and he is going to uh, have a temple built to his honor and to his glory. He sees that much. David thinks it's his job to get it done. And so God tells him, nope, you're not the one. But it will be one of your descendants that will come after you and, and I will establish this, this throne forever. He says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And so Nathan began to speak those words to David to let him know that he was wrong the first prophecy he gave him or the first counsel he gave him amen so Nathan spoke out of turn before he even uh, uh, came to um, um, uh, you know came to know what was really in the heart of God so it's very possible for both prophet and king to think out of turn to speak out of turn because it was common for prophets to know that whatever God would put in a king's heart that was what he was supposed to do so he just gave him the blanket counsel answer go do whatever's in your heart to do God's with you you know he's been with you all these years he's going to stay with you he's never going to depart from you but in this one situation God had to correct the prophet and correct David and tell him not you but your descendants sometimes people can have feelings like that they'll feel it's for them and then they find out it's really for one of their children or their grandchildren will actually come and carry out what it is that God wants that it's not for your generation but you are to lay up provision sometimes for that next generation so what you're doing with your children you're teaching them the word you're laying up provision in their hearts for them to be able to come at a later time and complete the vision that God has put in your heart to do and so it's just it's it's wonderful to know that we do have that ability to perceive the will of God from afar off but also God does it is best to seek counsel to get God's perfect timing and when those things are going to come to pass because there's nothing better than the timing of God in things and David come and then too God was was uh, speaking to David at a later time and told him your hands have shed much blood and you are known as a man of war and when I have my temple beat built it will built be built in a time of peace and so God gave Solomon peace all the days of his life and Solomon was able to build a temple in time of peace uh, I think to God it means a lot of difference how your hands are dedicated and what type of mentality goes along with with the building of certain things and so his temple in Jerusalem the city of peace is built uh, as a monument to peace and for God it would be inconsistent to have a man like David who was a man of war uh, it was necessary at the time but it's, it's more beneficial in God's eyes to have a man of peace build a house of peace that, that mean, makes sense a little bit it, you can see it like for instance in you um, um, uh, in uh, medical 
in the medical field. I can remember when I was a nurse and, and years before that, uh, people seldom sued doctors in hospitals. They were they were known. They had what was called charitable immunity from lawsuit. In other words, it was known that what they were doing, they were doing for the good of humanity, and they were given blanket permission to be excused from personal liability because they were dedicated to healing and helping. And then abortion came in. And now all hell is broken loose in the medical profession. They have more mistakes now than ever before, even with uh, improved um, conditions, improved abilities to diagnose, greater technology. They still will take the wrong guy in and take the wrong leg off. You know what I'm saying? And I believe it's because their hands are no longer dedicated to life and dedicated to healing. Now you've got hands in there that do life and kill, that kill and make alive. And so when you have confusion in your purpose, you're going to wind up with chaos in the system somewhere. You got me? You'll find people are less conscientious. Uh, I can remember nurses had a very high standard of behavior of ethics of everything where patients are concerned uh, now you have places where uh, they routinely ignore patients when they have needs or, or and they cover for each other I, I remember us doing it some but it's done a whole lot more now you know what I'm saying sometimes we get in a big mess somebody did something drastically wrong and they call everybody in to change your nursing notes to reflect something different because you didn't want to be sued but you knew you were wrong that happened rarely but it's it's a lot more more frequent now people just don't have the um ethics training how to speak in front of patients how to be discreet in front of them how to you know all the things that you need to do to show professionalism kind of go down the drain you know uh, in a large degree I talk to some people like women who are working with patients nowadays and, and they know everybody's business and they talk it freely you didn't talk about people when you got outside the hospital you just that was confidential information information uh you didn't utter anything you knew personally about them uh and it's just it's just kind of broken down so it's not good you need to dedicate yourself one way and once you're dedicated one way you're not sympathetic to anything else so uh, but anyway uh, David was dedicated to war he was trained that way his mind was trained that way and his hands were trained that way he that was his calling and so God decided to have that temple built during a time of peace when God's son Solomon would come to the throne and he would be a peaceful man and not a man of war like his father was and so uh, divine counsel though can work both ways it can initiate something and it can draw a halt to it too uh, so we're about to do some things that uh, God thinks are not right he will take us into his counsel and begin to tell us what we need to do and often tell you why sometimes you can learn more in correction 
than you can in you know going forward or you know never hate correction because it's always good you learn a lot uh, when God stops you from doing something and then tells you why um, sometimes you can learn more <laughs> amen that way or it's just as valuable or it should be so uh, the spirit of counsel then begins to uh, minister to David's son Solomon in First Kings chapter 3 uh, if you'll go there I'll start in verse 1 Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh king of Egypt and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built to the name of the Lord until those days. So really having a central house of worship allows people to worship one God and puts the priesthood in control of the worship. So it was needed and Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father only he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar in Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said ask what you want me to give you or ask anything and I'll give it to you and Solomon said you have shown to your servant David my father great mercy according as he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with with you and you have kept him this great kept for him this great kindness to sit on the throne as it is this day and now O Lord my God you have made your servant king instead of my father David or in in succession to my because David has passed away at this time and I am but a little child I know not how to go in or come out now that means I'm not military trained Amen. Coming in and going out refers to battle always. And Solomon says, I'm not a soldier like my father was. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? Sounds like Moses, huh? Yeah. And the speech pleased the Lord. And Solomon asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have not asked, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to your words. Lo, I have given you a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like you before or after, shall none arise like you, and I have also given you that which you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there will not be among be any among the kings like you all the days of your life and if you will walk in my ways keep my laws and my commandments as your father David did walk then I will lengthen your days and so sometimes it's not what you ask for but what you don't ask for that pleases God and people in leadership need to understand this 
as this is really a principle this is the the um, exceeding and abundantly beyond all we can ask or think see many times we're so faith driven and word driven we're telling people uh, you have to say what you want don't call the dog if you know if you want the cat you know all while all that stuff is true sometimes God wants to know what's really in your heart he wants greater things to be in your heart he wants you to love him first with all your heart and if you have things so much in your eyesight and not God so much in your eyesight you're not going to get them things I'm here to tell you you won't get them now people you can confess all you want to and quote the word at God and, and build your faith meditate on your, your plane in your house all the people I knew in the 80's in the 90's that had pictures of airplanes on their refrigerators and Mercedes and Ferraris and all that stuff if they got them they came with notes and payments you got me and if God's going to really give you something he doesn't add sorrow to it you got me so forget that the nonsense part of that and just let God see you have a pure heart just focus on loving him focus on getting greed out of yourself focus on making an assurance that you don't have that and just obey God's laws and trust him to bring increase that's a simple way to live you know a very simple way to live now if you need healing you need to speak healing scriptures over your body you're redeemed from the curse of sickness and from poverty but as far as adding riches and wealth and abundance in the material realm God is very funny about that because he will not have see you can't get too healthy or so healthy that you go off in sin but you can get too rich. James tells us that it becomes a snare to us. So not to desire to have all of that because it will become a snare to you. And people ensnare themselves that way. And so, and trust me, you'll be doing good to build your faith to get all your bills paid on time. To have some savings in the bank and not be in debt. Because life is very challenging sometimes that way. And so, and the devil wants to take your money before he takes anything. So so anyway so uh so there is is, uh solomon's divine counsel that he received from the lord in matthew chapter 1 in verse 20 we see another example of divine uh counsel Uh, here we see joseph having two encounters with god thank god joseph was a godly man (laughs) matthew chapter 1 Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. In verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a just man or a spoused husband, really, and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now, these people felt when you gave your word to marry somebody, you're as good as married. 
So that's why you'll see husband and wife or sometimes a spouse, husband and wife. But it was more or less a done deal. Once you gave your your word, it was all over but the shouting. And you got me? So you were considered married in that if you were found to violate a marriage covenant by seeing somebody else or being interested in certainly sleeping with somebody else, you had to get a divorce. Because your word was everything. Got me? So they had already spoken vows which put them in a, an espoused condition or engaged to be married. But there would come an actual ceremony and then after that the marriage was consummated. But there had to be that engagement to test their commitment to one another. So this was Mary was was found to be kind of lacking, they thought, in the testing area. So he was going to divorce her privately and not make a public example of her. You know, she could have been stoned to death, she and the man. And so he wanted to make her, he put her away privately and they had that option. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, fear not to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a child, shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. Or Jesus meaning Savior. He'll save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the Lord, by the, of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold a virgin shall be with child. I think that's Isaiah. And shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, Isaiah, which means God with us. And so Joseph got up from his sleep as the angel of the Lord bid him and took unto him his wife and knew her not. See, they hadn't consummated their marriage yet until she had brought forth, forth, forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Amen. And so, um, so anyway, uh, that was the divine counsel that Joseph had. So he didn't foil the plan of bringing the Messiah into the earth. Matthew chapter 2. And verse 13. The wise men had just visited Herod and talked about this king being born. Herod tells them, oh, when you find him, come back this way and tell me where he is. I want to go worship him too. And so um, um, when they, the wise men had visited Mary and Joseph, in verse 12 it says, being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country by another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and be there until I bring you word again. So the counselor stays with them. Amen. So once you are receiving divine counsel, you can draw from that again and again and again. These are not one-time occurrences. And he says, for Herod will seek him to destroy him. When they arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed unto Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
And so Herod then begins to kill all the firstborn children, everybody under two years of age. And so they are able to escape to Egypt again sent by God this time so that, that uh, the child though Jesus' life could be spared and so um, to me Mary and Joseph are example of how God uses just ordinary Christians he, they think they're just a young couple in love getting ready to start their family obeying the Hebrew traditions etc etc and then they get all this I mean this is wild stuff for I mean, she's having a baby. It ain't my baby. I'm going to marry her anyway. What's the deal here? God says it's of him. And yada, 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 yada. But you have to stay with God. I mean, you start in the spirit and you have to abide in the spirit. Don't go jumping around. I can't put up with this. This is just too much right here. You know, God has a way of convincing us to do the right thing. Amen. And so God backs up what he's telling them to do with prophecy, with scripture that they're familiar with because they know the story. They know Isaiah. They know the prophets. They know all of this stuff. And so God is able to convince them based on their own relationship with God. That's it. He won't take you beyond your ability to believe him and cooperate with him. Amen. So it's a good thing to stay. Just stay in your lane. Do what you know God is pleasing to him. And uh, it will work out for you. So the next one we have example is divine courage. God will, as part of his fighting for you, he will give you divine courage. And this is something that um, will take you sometimes out of your comfort zone. I know uh, in the lives of people you see in the Bible, these people went far beyond uh, where they ever thought they would have to go just in surviving from day to day um, serving God whatever they were attempting to do uh, divine courage would take them way beyond the limits of their expectation and the limits of their mind uh, in First Samuel 17 um, starting in verse 30 I think uh, 32 or something yeah 32 here you see the old story of David uh, coming to deliver food to his brothers because his father sent him there and uh, dad wants to know what's going on with the war your brother's dead or alive you know everybody wants to hear news from the war front David gets there nobody's fighting Uh, the Philistine is insulting everybody and they're not answering him they're just putting it up with it and taking with it something gets triggered inside of David that's kind of divine indignation you know that hits everybody when you see injustice being done when you see uh, people not in the proper place they're supposed to be in uh, God the Holy Ghost in you will get alarmed and uh, not be pleased and he'll let you know it and so the best thing to do is say God is this my fight if it is what do I do if it ain't just give me peace and let me pimp on out of here like I pimped in here or whatever you know and so David shows up at the battlefront and he finds uh, Goliath uh, insulting the army of Israel 
Now it was very common when they would have wars or standoff wars for them to choose what they call a champion. Each side chose a representative. Instead of every man out there fighting and getting hurt and killed, they could settle it by putting their, their confidence in one man that they called a champion, and that's who Goliath was. He was the champion for the Philistines, but he was looking for a man in Israel to fight with him and then all the you know they would win the war and all the spoils would go to whoever the winner was so it wasn't a man to man combat it was one person well the Israelites have yet to answer him you got me nobody wants to answer and so uh, uh, David begins to inquire so who is this guy and what's he talking about you mean you're going to let him insult us like that we serve God he can't get away with this huh? I don't know how many times I've seen things and they struck me like that you know when I first came to Detroit people were talking about devil's night and I said who gave the devil a night around here I said you take it back and people would look at me stunned like you know who are you <laughs> I don't know I just moved here from Cleveland but I know this ain't right you understand what I'm saying I you know I ain't nobody but I know who sent me so anyway um, David then begins to inquire his brothers get mad at him because they say he's out here trying to show off again but that doesn't stop him and uh, it says verse 31 when these words when the, the words were heard which David spoke they told Saul and Saul sent for him and David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of this Philistine me your servant will go and fight with him and Saul said to David you are not able to go against him to fight with him he said you're just a youth and he's been fighting since before you were born and David said to Saul I kept my father's sheep and they came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock and I went out after him and killed him and delivered it out of his mouth and when he arose against me I caught him by his beard and killed him and slew him and the servant slew both the lion and the men the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God now the first thing divine courage will do is have you understand that this is not personal this person does not hate you it's something about God in you that they hate and that's hard for people to wrap their heads around because we stay in the flesh so much sometimes we would not dare think that we let enough of God show through to get somebody mad at us because of that but even if you don't let God show through he's still mad at you mostly because of who you serve and you've got to quit getting in personal skirmishes and angry and you know fighting mad and all this kind of stuff about personal things because it's not personal anymore in fact the day you were born again it quit being personal and it started being kingdom 
And so I can tell you most of your trouble in life is persecution because of the Spirit of God lives in you. I don't care if you don't ever witness anybody. I don't care if you ever never speak the name of Jesus. I don't care. It's who you belong to. And the devil, sometimes the devil's more aware of who you are than you are. And so we have to understand that, that David understood that God was behind the nation of Israel and this guy was attempting to stand against God. And that's what made the fight so easy for him to conceive of winning because he knew God is being powerful. He knew God is vindicating even the the lives of the sheep in his flock. He knew God is helping those situations at all times. And so he says that I fought the lion and I fought the bear and God was with me each and every time I did that. And it's it's going to be a small thing for him to be with me again. So we have to understand that it's not who you're defending that makes God fight for you. It's his covenant with you to fight for you that makes a difference. It's not if if your child has a headache or if your child has seizures. The same God is going to heal him no matter what the, the ailment is and what the problem is. And so when we get to understand that and understand it fully, we'll, we'll be in line to get our victory just the way God wants us to get it. And so David takes on divine courage and begins to rehearse to himself his history of victory with God. He has never suffered defeat in all of his days. So he knows nothing but victory. So in, in, in you can do the same thing. You can discipline your mind not to think of all the bad things that have ever happened when you get ready to go into war. When you go into that realm, you get in your word. You get into rehearsing what God does to help his people. You don't go in there thinking about all the times you didn't get what you wanted. You go in there rehearsing victory. And that's exactly what David did. He began to get closer and closer to defeating Goliath every statement that he made when uh, uh, Saul gave him his armor he refused it he went out and got what God told him to get to defeat Goliath with Goliath began to taunt him and tell him he was going to kill him and David said nope I'm going to kill you he said by the end of the day I'm going to have your head cut off and feed your carcass to the dogs and that's exactly what happened and so when we take on divine courage we prophesy our way into our victory See, David could have just let his words stand and God would have fought for him. But they needed to see Goliath dead. That's that's how they declared victory. uh, By the dead body of their enemy and by his head cut off. That's how they knew they had won. That was their symbol of victory. So David had to give them what they demanded to prove that they had victory over the Philistines. So divine courage will come upon you where you will no longer be afraid to confront anything in the name of the Lord. You'll just know that God is there for you and you begin to declare what God tells you. What's going to happen? 
that it's going to work out for you that it's going to go well for you that no foe will be able to stand before you all the days of your life all of those things we can declare because God has given us victory okay so the last one we have is divine recovery and so that's in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and you know all the story David and his mighty men have been off away fighting and they come back to their camp at Ziklag and all the women and children and all their goods are gone and everybody is very upset uh, there were there were I'm not sure who was left to guard them but they were overpowered no doubt and taken captive along with the women and children and all of their goods and so David uh, uh, begins to inquire of the Lord. He's, he is left as the person in charge. See, everybody else can cry, but you can't cry. Amen. When you're in charge, you, you don't have time for tears. David wept, really, until he wept sore, the Bible says, and emptied himself of his tears, and then he got himself together. The Bible says everybody was greatly distressed, and they talked about stoning him, but he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He began to rehearse scripture in his own ears. God, you are the mighty God. You're, you're always there for us. You will never leave us or forsake us, and you have overtaken the enemy. You will return to us everything that was stolen, etc., etc. And so God told David to pursue. He would overtake and recover all. Amen. Without fail. It's in verse 8. And so in verse, uh, um, let me think, where are we at? 16. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's the enemy. The Amalekites this time. They were eating and drinking and having a good time because of all the great spoil that had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from twilight even until the evening of the next day. There escaped not a man of them except for 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives not one but two amen and even the stuff you're not supposed to have if the devil steals it you get it back got me don't be don't be nervous about expecting what it doesn't belong to him amen and there was nothing lacking to them neither small nor great sons nor daughters I mean everything was just like it was taken God kept it intact so divine recovery means everything that God has given you comes back to you nothing's missing and that's how you stay in peace you know the the uh, scripture when Jesus would ask people that he would pray for will you be made whole that means you get everything back you get your say for instance you go through a difficulty with somebody and they take not only your goods but it's an embarrassment to you um take for instance somebody like mike flynn 
he was first part of the Trump's transition administration team and they found out that he had not been truthful about some things they had to let him go that didn't mean he was a bad person you got me but since then he's been you know indicted for some other things he's lost money he's lost I mean he's lost money he's had to hire lawyers had to sell his house and his reputation's gone to make him whole you would have to give him back all that and his reputation and his good name you got me and so when God says will you be made whole he means he reserves everything in in uh, intact for you so you even get back your reputation and your good name when you're made whole and that's hard to give people back sometimes people will say well I wasted all my young years and on drugs and how am I ever going to God knows how to get that back for you I don't know how he does it but I know that he wouldn't promise it if he weren't going to do it for you and if it wasn't possible so look for restoration folks nothing the devil is not greater than God evil cannot do more harm to you than God's good can do to restore you so he will restore all of these things to us if we will look to him for what we need amen why don't we stop father in heaven we thank you for your word and for understanding thank you for honor among your people for greatness that you've called us to and we thank you lord and we honor you we bless you and we praise you in jesus name amen praise god